Welcome to the Trojansports.com post-game podcast. A the new, official. The official, still lacking a catchy name, post-game podcast. We'll do this every week. This is going to be a staple. We'll have them up on Sunday mornings, which is when you're listening to this. But presently, we are sitting, staring at the field being uh, being taken care of. After right, it'll be Saturday morning. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's yeah. not going to be 24 hours before they hear this. Some people are awake right now. It's barely 1 a.m. People are going to hear it on their Friday night under a King Taco run. You ever been to King Taco yet? Have I? No, it sounds really good there have right I now. Brought the, okay, yeah. 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 It, and it, that's where you go right now, especially after a night like this. Yeah. So I don't know what day of the week it is. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. But I do know that USC bounced back with a 39-36 win that I don't know that is going to assuage a lot of the uh, critics because it wasn't perfect. It was very flawed. In fact, when they were down 13 in the third quarter, I would have given them a 5% chance to win that game. I thought you were going to quit your job. Uh, no, no. There's plenty plenty to write about. I thought you were going back to Gainesville. Or fail. <laughs> There's nothing there for me. <laughs> That's not any better situation. Uh, but no, it, you know, certainly uh, after the last two weeks, it's nice to have a change up and be able to talk about something a little positive at least. The win is ultimately positive, but there's a lot to pick apart about this game. Like I said, when they were down 13 in the third quarter, I would have given them a 5% chance to win, and I was having flashbacks to Austin because it felt like things were starting to spiral. Some of the details were different. This time it was the the defense really just letting everything down, Um, but it just had that sense that this game was about to really get away from them once again. But it didn't, and it didn't for one big reason. Mr. JT? Mr. JT Daniels. If you don't know, he's only an 18-year-old oh, freshman. Oh, gosh. <laughs> how, how, where did you get this information Michael from? Pittman told me that after the game. Okay. Yeah, so he, he dropped that knowledge bomb on me. He's only 18. <laughs> and he should still be in high school, so that was... Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. And despite that, he orchestrated this great second-half comeback, and... <laughs> And this is what we're going to get into. I would hope that performance uh, silenced some of the critics who, as you noted, shouldn't have even been there in the first place. Yeah, I'm not really paying attention to those people right now. I know. I haven't been. But they exist, and I don't understand why. And, and hopefully anyone who saw this game sees the immense potential that not only does JT have for the future, but he has right now. And I wrote this week that I thought that maybe um, – the encouraging signs and the positives are being overshadowed by how much he was being asked to do and by the outcomes of the games. Well, tonight, he dictated the outcome. He finished yeah. down the stretch with, with just big throw after big throw after big throw. They would uh, not have won without him. No, and, and you know, I, I asked a few players afterward, what was he like in the second half? What would you sense from him? And not surprisingly, the response was, JT's always the same guy. He's just calm. He's just JT. Yeah, unflappable. And, and that's what you need in games like this because, I, I mean, Look at it. What was at stake here? If they lose this game, Ooh. and they're one and three, and they're zero and two in the conference. Yeah. I mean, this this thing is just falling apart beyond repair. They had to win this game, and they had to have him pull them back and do it. And you have the fifty-yard catch and run touchdown to Michael Pittman, which was was more of a Pittman play than a JT play. Yeah. But he was wide open, nice strike. Then you have just the beautiful thirty-yard. Anticipation throw to Amon Ra down the sideline where he just threw it up, knowing that his favorite target would be right where it was going to land. They were in sync. And that was, to me, the prettiest play of the season so far. That was just such a beautiful throw. And then he almost repeated it on a 21 yard strike to Tyler Vaughn's on the go ahead drive, where again, just a, a super quick release, just he knew where it was going to be, and he trusted that Vaughn's was going to be there too, and he was. That 21-yard gain took him down to the 13-yard line, set up the go-ahead score. Uh, Jay Tufeli blocks the field goal with less than two minutes left to seal the win. Brian, but, I was there. Yeah. But this was this was, <laughs> this was JT's true breakout game. Your thoughts, Adam? About JT? But yeah, let's let's start with JT, and we can segue into other topics. Yeah, I mean, he is what I thought he was. He's really good. He's really really good. I think. 
he's kind of getting the John David Booty treatment in a way, where he's following up this legend that can't really be matched and occupied so much space in USC's world for two years prior that anything that isn't going well will fall on the quarterback yeah. you know, and, and on top of the head coach as well. JT's fine. JT is one of the best players in the team. Uh, doesn't mean that he'll always play well or he's not without fault, but he helps them win. That's how I feel about him. That's how I felt about him. Even when the offense was in a rut, I felt like he was doing more to help them than he was hurting. And that's why, you know, what I've been writing about is really that the offense had been broken uh, outside of when Sam Darnold was a quarterback. But you just, the numbers were amazingly similar between when JT was at quarterback the first three games to when Max Brown was at quarterback. And we never saw how that would have played out with Max, but I think that's kind of what we're going to see here with JT where I don't, you know, this team's not going to finish in the top five in the country yeah. or, or even, you know, the top ten. They can still be good, but it, it's hard to, to draw a lot of conclusions from tonight. Uh, that's why with JT, I don't know that I learned a lot about him, but I, I come away with maybe a few more questions. It seems like when one thing comes alive, then there's a leak somewhere else mm-hmm. on, on the team. And tonight we saw that with the pass defense, which I thought had been pretty good early in the season. And tonight was so vulnerable and almost cost them the game. Really the whole defense if we're, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they didn't, Washington State doesn't care about running the ball, so they didn't. Uh, Except when they were plowing over safeties into the end zone. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was one where the guy had a full head of steam, 12 yards into the play, you know, and after you've run from the 15 to the 2, I don't, I put that, like, where are the linebackers on that play? We're we're getting off topic. Yeah. We're getting off topic. Uh, I thought you had a great column where you really kind of painted the scenario that a lot of the flaws that exist with this team have been there, and Darnold was just so so great that he he masked a lot of that. Now that he's not there, people are trying to attach this misplaced blame on JT yeah. when it's really just the same issues that have been elsewhere around this team. Uh, but JT finishes 17-26, 241 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, two takeaways from the postgame comments. Clay really emphasized that, that he could see in practice this week that JT's chemistry was improving with the receivers not named Amon Ra. And yeah. I think you are seeing that. I, you know, Michael Pittman kind of finally has a breakout game. Could have been even better if he got his foot down an inch further into the end zone. Uh, yeah. How many balls this year? He might have He might have gotten in. He might have gotten in. How many balls this year has JT thrown that were so close to being touchdowns? Yeah. You, you had Amon Ra last week. A few of them. Lance mm-hmm. just on the back line this week. It's Pittman. Uh, we've had balls go right off Pittman's hand, off Vaughn's in the mm-hmm. end zone. So those plays have been there, and I think they, they, they hit on most of them tonight. Uh, I got a couple of things I want to say about J.K. now that we're going to keep diving into the quarterback. Chemistry was better. That does matter. We noticed it in the opener. Even though the numbers look good, you can tell that they were out of sync. Uh, J.K. and... and his receiving core, really, aside from Amon Ra. I think it's very encouraging that Amon Ra actually only ended up with two catches and that JT really leaned on a couple other people. Uh, you know that when he has to find St. Brown, he will. Um, but it, I kind of turned to coaching on that. JT's made numerous references to the fact that, hey, I've only been working with these guys for you know, about a month and a half in practice, and it will take me some time to get there. 
and that's all fair from from his perspective, you know. But they took too long to to commit to him as a quarterback, as a starting quarterback, when it was obvious a week in the training camp that he was better. And not that you have to make him the starter a week in, but you really needed to get him that work. Yeah. And he was rotating for three of the four weeks mm-hmm. with two other guys who aren't going to play quarterback for this team, aside from an injury yeah. situation. And, and now it's hampered them, and that might have been the difference in a game like Stanford. And I mean, even Texas, where the game was in the balance for about three quarters, and the offense was sputtering. But Stanford especially, where the offense really couldn't get anywhere. And, and those are the types of things that, that I thought Clay would have learned from because personnel decisions, I think, have hunted him throughout his three years. You know, year one, it was Sam Darnold and Max Brown. And in year two, it was really the receivers and playing Tyler Vaughn from day one and, and even getting Pittman back in a little bit earlier, coming off of injury. Uh, because we, we saw some chemistry issues even with Darnold and, you know, and his receivers outside of John Kipernet. And then this year it's been JT trying to figure out you know, the guys that he's playing with for the first time and then Stephen Carr at running back. I don't get it because if we see it, then, then they see it. It's not like I know something that yeah. that Clay Hilton or T. Martin doesn't know. It, it was it was a, a misplaced notion of wanting to keep him competitive and keep him striving, not get comfortable. <sighs> and, and yeah, yeah. Sh- sure, that that that's one thing. But but you're right. We talked about it. He at, came here to be great. We talked about he, it at, he's at the not going <laughs> to and, and it, it is let off the even, gas when went into his yeah. college career. It is even more apparent in hindsight that that was a lot of wasted time. Yeah. That. We saw through the first few weeks really translated to some, some bad timing, some out of sync, poor chemistry. Yeah, and I think maybe they're finally getting to that point where it's where it's back. Yeah, well, they they need you. I mean, they needed every point here in this game, and that's why I think it's just dangerous the way that they've kind of approached things. And we'll see if it really is solved moving forward. Yeah. The one other thing about JT that stood out to me was wasn't really the throws that he made, it was the throws that he didn't make. I felt like in each game uh, prior to tonight, there were at least three or four, even five on an occasion, I believe, that could have been picked off. A couple that should have been picked off. He had one tonight. There was one that it was dropped. It was dropped by a Wazoo defender. But outside of that, he was really clean, you know. And he mentioned that after the fact, uh, after the game, that uh, he did make a more concerted effort to protect the ball. And uh, USC kind of afforded turnovers, really, yeah. in this situation. It, they're probably going to be in a lot of tight games. So I think that's going to be a big deal moving forward. Uh, how much they protect because they're not causing turnovers and thus they can't really make them and you want him to be aggressive and he was aggressive and he kind of made that point as well like it was an aggressive game plan and I agree and and I think that's good but there's a fine line between being aggressive and being smart and I thought he did both I think he walked it really well and, and I think that's really important for them moving forward. I want to build on that point. And I, I build think, on it, Ryan. First of all, I think the one that was dropped, I think there was also a penalty. There was. Play. So yeah. it would have been. The, but he has gotten very lucky this year with passes out of just being defenders in the side, <laughs> right. the back, the shoulder. Yeah. Um, but to build off the point of aggressiveness, I talked to Brian Ellis this week about him. And when I had gone back and watched the tape of the Texas game, one of my main thoughts was that one of JT's great strengths is also his weakness at times and that he truly believes he can put the ball right where it needs to be every time. And because of that, he'll take a lot of chances. And because of that, sometimes those throws are not great decisions. So I asked Brian Ellis about that, just kind of phrased it in that way, and, and he goes, no, no, I, I don't ever want him to not be aggressive. I, I want him to take those shots. I want yeah. him to play that way. And 
I really got the sense, and you got it from JT tonight when you, you asked him the question about that, and and he goes, "Well, it's an aggressive game plan, you know, and, and those those things are going to happen." You get the sense that the coaching staff wants him to be a gunslinger. Yeah, and that, that they do. That, they need him to be. That, that they're fully encouraging this. So it, it's it's not it's not him overstepping his bounds and making the decision to put more on himself than is asked. It's that this coaching staff and this game plan is calling for him to be very aggressive downfield. And it's led to a lot of big plays. But I think if they're going to keep doing that, there will be risky throws. There will be interceptions. Yeah. And if that's that's the bargain they're making that they're willing to live with, then that's not something you pin all on the quarterback if that's what they're asking them to do. Yeah, good point. They do need him to take shots because the defense is not playing well enough to to win conservatively, but there's a percentage with every play. And I felt like tonight he opted for higher percentage plays. I totally agree. You know, I, and, I and so I realize that not everything's going to be an 80% uh, probability of completion, but I felt like in the previous weeks there were too many that were just so low and because he does think that he can get the ball, he can put it wherever he wants, and he often can. His accuracy is really, really good. It's kind of waned a little bit on the intermediate throws. I think he's better tonight in that regard. But downfield, he's often really, really good. He, his mentality reminds me a lot of Matt Barkley, where he just has a, a hubris to his game <laughs> that has probably always been there, and you're yeah. not going to beat it out of him. That's a good word. Yeah, but... You have to combine it with an intelligence. And Barkley would make some throws that he couldn't make, but he wanted to because he saw it there. But physically, he couldn't get it there. And JT might be a little bit better in that regard where he, he can deliver it there, but you just don't want to have a you know dozens of throws that are, that are probably lower than, than 40%. Right. Likely, you know, to be completed. And there were a bunch last week at Texas. There were. There were. Yeah. yeah like, that's, that was my takeaway, that he just had fewer of those. Yeah. And it ended up really mattering because they ended up winning by three. So this is a really good stat. We talk about chemistry and spreading the ball around. JT's four biggest throws tonight yeah. in the four different receivers. Yeah. So you, you had the 50-yard catch-and-run touchdown to Pittman. You have the almost other touchdown to Pittman in the end zone. You have the 44-yard Bayless Jones, uh, yeah. was that early? That was really early. Mm-hmm. Uh, a 30-yard touchdown on Monra, mm-hmm. and the 21-yard of the Tyler Vaughns on the go-ahead touchdown drive. So that just kind of underscores the point that he's getting more in sync with his entire arsenal of, uh, of weapons there. Any, yeah. any final thoughts on JT before we move on? No, I just think that this is probably important for the passing offense as a whole that Amon Ra doesn't walk away with 13 catches yeah. for 180 yards because yeah. you know that he could do that and, and they'll need that at times. But to, they, need, they need like balance in, in the sense of like distribution as well. And, and I think JT, although he's not going to want to probably discuss this at length, but he's favoring Amon Ra to an unhealthy manner, or he was. And tonight, he wasn't. Yeah. And I think for some guys, they needed probably a confidence boost. They needed to be thrown to more. Uh, and even when they dropped it. And so we've seen Pittman and Vaughn let JT down maybe in prior weeks. And tonight they came through for him. But you got to go back to them. You know, go, go through your top three guys. And you're not going to go real far if you're just winning on one of them. I'll just close it with this on him. Um, I kind of felt like a JT apologist the last two weeks because <laughs> okay. because I, I I just kept seeing the same thing I had seen like, like nothing had changed for me in my in my opinion of him even in those two losses I still saw the same guy just maybe not the best version of that guy and so tonight yeah. I saw the same guy again in a better version and well I mean, they ran for negative five yards last week yeah. So- it's hard to look good at quarterback when you have absolutely no. You, exactly. You have a, exactly. a negative running game. But my point is, and I think you agree, like this was not a surprise to see him take this team on his shoulder no, in the second no. half and, and, and do this. 
it's it's kind of what he did in the opener against UNLV, really. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. does it again here. So I think his ceiling is still uh, so high for even this season. And uh, hopefully more people that were on the other side of the fence saw that tonight. Before we get into the defense, which was really the, the, the crux of the criticism tonight, yeah. one more point on the offense. Stephen Carr. Yeah, okay. Comes out. First two carries. Six <laughs> yards, 50 yards. Yeah. They run the ball five straight times in the opening series for a touchdown. Everyone's like, okay, they've seen the light. They're going to get the running game going. And then Stephen Carr has but one more carry into the middle of the third quarter. Yeah. By the middle of the third quarter, he has three carries until he gets his fourth. Right. And I asked Clay in the postgame press conference about that. I don't know that I fully understand or recall what he said. But it was it was about time of possession and this and that. Right. And they're, they're you know they, they didn't run as many plays as they would have liked. They didn't have the ball as long. But I just have a problem when you have a guy that we know to be explosive, that everyone is clamoring to see more of, comes out, rushes for fifty yards on the second play, and then you don't force the issue with him. You don't just you know feed him a few more carries. You don't find a way to uh, make you know get having me the hot hand and give him the ball. And and before I pass it over, I asked Carr about this afterward, and if you've watched some of the video interviews with Steven, he's not, he doesn't thoroughly enjoy talking to us, I don't think, <laughs> and he doesn't reveal You're a lot. You're being generous. Guys. He doesn't reveal a lot, and so I asked him about the rotation and, and going so long between carries, and he just said, uh, we have a great rotation, it's a good thing keeps everyone fresh, this and that. So he, if he's frustrated by it, he wasn't going to vent about it. But he reiterated that he is fully healthy. So it's not a health No, yeah, we, I'm done asking him that. Yeah. I've, I've asked him that. Yeah. He's clearly healthy. You don't break off his 50-yard runs. And but he's had the long kickoff return. and He finishes averaging 9.6 yards a carry, but gets eight carries. Yeah, right. So. Yeah, I know. Uh... It's hard to know with him because we are seeing a number of carries go nowhere with him. It's been a little bit of a boomer bust. And while I've advocated or you know demanded nearly that he play more and, and get more, and I still feel like he should get more, what we don't know is if there's issues with the blocking scheme, or if his reads aren't good yet, he he hasn't played that much. His season last year was kind of cut in half, and and he definitely wasn't healthy for a good portion of last year. So he doesn't have a really big sample size yet. And I remember with Rojo, it. He had he had, he got into a bit of a funk early in his sophomore season, and it lasted for about a third of the year, and it really kind of changed for him when Justin Davis, the starter who was playing really well, got injured right in the middle of the season, and then Rojo became the feature back, and he ran off a string of where he basically topped 100 yards and like. I think four out of five games from there on in his entire career, he he could almost pencil him in for 100 plus yards, and I think he scored in like basically every game that he played in thereafter, and became a star. Even though you knew he was really good as a freshman, much like Stephen Carr, it was obvious the talent was there, but I don't think he had everything figured out until a little bit later, and. Maybe it just takes that. Maybe Carr needs to get 20 carries, and in the course of that experience, I mean in one game, in the course of that experience, he'll really grow from it. I don't know. I don't know what the formula is for him because he is effective off and on. You know, he has not been consistently effective. Now, the running game as a whole really hasn't been, but... Uh, you watch him break off a 50-yard run, and you can't help but think, how could he go about two quarters and only have one carry in that span? But then when he does play, you know he, he didn't do much outside of that 50-yard carry. 
in this game. Yeah, but I think that's a position where you get into a rhythm. I, I don't think it's a position where you're not like a pinch hitter where you're, or, or, or DH where you sit you know, for an hour and come up and, and hit a home run. Some guys are at running back. I, I'm sure that they all benefit from getting more. Like, I, I wouldn't doubt that. They, you know, running backs will tell you that, but the reality is he's not alone here and he's not going to just get 30 carries. Like, that's not going to happen. And when they don't control the clock like they want to and like, like they'll need to, then there will be lulls where he will not get carries for maybe an entire series or, or two in a row. And so I don't want to just pin it entirely on the personnel decisions that, are, that have been made. I, I agree that he should not have gone two quarters just getting one more carry. Like I, I'm not defending that, but I think as a whole, it's just kind of weird that when he does get some carries, a number of them aren't really going anywhere. Well, I, you, I think you made this point in there, but I will say there are still very real pass protection issues and if they don't feel that he is the best option in there as a blocker then that would help explain it too he said that he's actually admitted that there was there was another sack tonight and I need to go rewatch I gotta watch the tape okay gotta watch the tape alright Clay to really see what the breakdown was but uh, uh, Washington State defender ran straight up the middle. Oh, right. I totally that. untouched. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. And, and I don't know who was supposed to pick him up, but there was a clear breakdown. So I think I tweeted that JT was hanging there like a pinata. Yeah, he, he was. So, so, so that could be a factor, too. But the interesting thing tonight, um, said where it's one carry. Yeah, so I, I'm not making much of that. He, he was limited in practice. Well, I, well, 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 you're acting as if I'm trying to force a storyline upon you. I was going to say that, although he was listed as a starter tonight, officially, yeah. <laughs> okay. he was limping in practice this week, Yeah. and I was going to have you dismiss any conspiracy theory. Right. People noticed that he was limping tonight. I didn't pick up on it because he only had the one carry, and it... It was, a, it was a blown up play. He didn't have a he didn't have a shot. It went for a loss of five. But it, that would really would have been with whomever was back there. It would have played out that way. But I asked him. I just asked him directly and instead of just speculate and you know and beat around the bush. I approached him and he told me, "I feel fine, but there was concern from the staff that you know about my knee that." that I wasn't totally healthy and I can just only go with that for now. I know he came out and was critical of how USC has been practicing, which it, I know it didn't sound good, but it, if you listen to that interview and you put it in context, he wasn't talking just about any one thing, it was really everyone. You know, I don't. I never got the the impression that he was calling out the coaches. He wasn't. Um, I think he called out everybody, including himself. I, I mean, he said that he needed to be more of a leader himself. That there was a lack of leadership on the offense. He's a senior, so he felt that responsibility. And I think he just brought attention to it. You know, he spoke up, and and I think it worked. That's the other thing. I agree that, with you. I I think it was a positive. And yeah, I know it's controversial, but actually putting it out there publicly, I think it, it worked. I don't know that it was controversial. I, I think it was, whether it was um, preconceived as a way to get his teammates' attention or not, Yeah. it was something he felt needed to be said. Yeah. And when I talked to the guys this week and I asked a few of them about it, they all said, yeah, that's something we all discussed this week. Yeah. So it got them talking. Really, no one disagreed that it, that no, it went true. It, it got them talking, and they all claimed that they felt a different vibe at practice this week. So I, I think it was nothing but a positive. The only reason I brought it up the way I did is because some people were speculating online that that was a reason why his carries were limited, and we both agreed that that was not a factor and that he's probably yeah, just, I mean, just banged up. I don't know yet, right? I, I asked him. He said what he said. And I'm going to go with that. I'm inclined to believe that. Yeah. I, there's reason to believe it. But I, I understand that some people would read it a little bit differently and 
think that he might have been punished because I don't think that the coaches appreciated what he said in the manner that he would say it. Like, he could tell maybe the team that, but to tell us that, I don't think that they love that. At the same time, I think it ended up working for them. And hopefully, if it was an issue, it won't be one moving forward. Really like Scott Ware. But I want to ask you just real quickly here. Please. Do you buy it? Because a lot of the players pointed to the practice being different this past week. Do you th- did you feel like it was? Because I know what I felt about the week going into Stanford. And I haven't been available for practice as much the past couple weeks, so I didn't have a good read on that. But you were there every day, and I just want to know what you thought. Did you feel like this past week going into Washington State was actually much different, or was it palpable? Was it noticeably different than it was the week prior? It wasn't for me. I, I didn't come away with this overwhelming impression of, oh, wow, this is, wow. Yeah. It, it wasn't that way. Clay was a lot more animated. He was louder. He was bouncing around. Okay. He was trying to set the tone. There were, on back-to-back days, physical scuffles that broke out on the line. Okay. And, you know, that, that, that kind of speaks to the aggression that practice was taking on. Yeah. But it it just wasn't an overwhelming difference to me. Yeah, and but, and we might not know. Yeah, you know, we're we're not on the team. We're not in it. Yeah, we're not in it. So I just wondered what you thought because yeah. at the end of the day, they're not going to play every game here at the Coliseum, and when they don't play here, they're a different team. It it just it's a it's a stark difference, you know, throughout Hilton's time, their performance on the road. It's really required Darnold's heroics a lot of the time when they leave the Coliseum to, to win. Or they just overwhelm an inferior opponent. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Arizona later, but their next game is in Tucson. And I still don't feel like I know what we're going to see, you know, what you're going to get yeah. from USC. Yeah, and we're going to close with that, but last point on the practice. The, the point was not to turn practice into like the Junction Boys. Like, like That wasn't what it was about. It was about his criticism was about guys being locked in, guys being focused the whole time, and that's stuff that's not going to stand out to me on the sideline. And about guys holding each other accountable, and, and, and if someone is missing assignments or they're not locked in on a play, a teammate talking to them saying, hey, get your, get your head in, in the game. Like, I think that's more the difference that they felt they saw this week. Not that they were banging their heads together louder than in previous weeks. Yeah, but there was an intensity that's been missing, though. I mean, that's what I saw. It wasn't like I would be aware of the focus and the accountability and all that stuff going into the, the Stanford game. But I just stood there, and I just saw that, like, it, there was, like, an indifference... They were just too routine about everything and a lack of energy. And I don't throw those words around all the time. And I'm not here to just pick apart all of their habits and their entire process. I'm not a coach. And so it's not like I know what everything should be. But I know what I saw then. And that's why when I interviewed August Cedric Ware, it was actually really, uh, you know, it, his comments came about as I was talking to him after the Texas game. And he brought up the fact that they had a week, week of practice leading to Texas. And that's where I jumped in and said, hey, w- was it like that the week before too? And, and we've talked about this. And he agreed because that's what I saw. And that's why I wondered what you thought about this past week. But they they need to have a sense of urgency with, with every week and every game. There's not a lot of margin for error here. You know, <laughs> this game was really tight. And eventually you just kind of move on and you take the W and you don't dwell on what could have been, right? I don't think you need to do that. But as we're going to talk about the defense here, there's still a lot that needs to be cleaned up. And if 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 not, then, you know, this will be a middling team. It, it will be 
a very average team who I think will potentially deal with some really harsh consequences if they don't win more. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, they had to get a win. But you would have hoped in the process they would have maybe assuaged more concerns. They would have answered more questions. Instead, like you touched on at the beginning, every week it's something different. There's like you're plugging yeah. one hole and another one burst. Right. I, I didn't come into this game expecting the defense to be just as as off as it was. As uh, I thought, Washington State was the more physical team tonight. I, I thought they were in total control for most of the game on their drives. Yeah, and they were just they get like they were in control, right? They were just dinking and dunking underneath and taking what was there for them all game long. Yeah, and. I really think the other cornerback spot remains a, a major issue, and I don't know what the answer is. Uh, Jack Jones? Where, where, where's Elijah Griffin? I mean, could, could he see an option there? Yeah, I mean, he's one month into his career. You know, they're, they're, but, not, they're not strong right now. I don't know that they will be in the near future. Um, Jonathan Lockett? could probably get more. I thought that he looked really good in spring, and then he was phased out of the competition, essentially moved in nickel in training camp. And I'm not totally clear why. I probably should look into it. But with him being the backup nickel, it wasn't really anything, a storyline that I pursued. But now that it's been so problematic... I think they have to consider things like that. You know, and I feel like they've been kind of slow to, to adjust personnel at times. And this is one where they kind of got away with it tonight. They, they could have easily lost this game, and it would have been because of their pass defense. So you, you can't be stubborn about who you're using where, especially when you have a senior with experience and he's been reliable for you. That's where I would go. I, okay. I know Elijah is the exciting recruit, sure, and sure, I think sure. that he probably has the higher ceiling and can end up being really, really good, uh, maybe even later this season. But that's where I think practice just has to be so competitive that you're, you're rotating these guys and you're figuring out who gives us the best chance to win. Not, well... Who do we think, just because we've already formulated these decisions a month ago, should be there? Yeah. And you know, I think sometimes coaches get a little too bent on what they already thought, and not you know not kind of giving it having an open mind about what could happen next. It, it just seemed very clear to me that Washington State really liked that matchup. Yeah. Against either Johnson or Langley, and. They got a lot of big plays there, and they kept going back to it. And I do think you have to now consider what other options they have to at least compete and practice for that spot because teams are going to see that on film and go, okay, you know, this is where we exploit their defense. And, and until you shore it up, everyone's going to use that blueprint. Washington but, State was 7 of 16 on third down. I think they're even higher, like, for the most of the game, and then maybe didn't convert. Three of three on fourth down. Right, three of three of fourth down. You, it's hard to win that way when you're giving that up, and and third and long remains like well, the worst down the, for USC. It's weird. There was two issues for most of the game. There was no pass rush early on. Yeah, and and Porter and, wasn't there. And Gardner Minshew had all this time to sit back there and wait and wait and just pick apart the defense. And then there was just guys open in the underneath routes all game long. We asked them about the pass rush after the game, and they said they were going with more, uh, you know, three-man rush early. And then when Porter came back, they were a little more aggressive there with, with four-man up front. And uh, it, he made a play in the backfield. He made a difference. But that was the story of the defense tonight. They couldn't pressure Minshew, and then they couldn't cover the guys for that amount of time without having someone spin open. It, yeah, it's a conundrum because. Wazoo likes to get the ball out quickly. So, in a sense, I do understand why you wouldn't rush more if they're not, if they're negating it by getting rid of it so quickly. But after a certain point, that wasn't working. I mean, really, throughout the game, that was not working. And after a certain point, 
you kind of probably have to adjust to that. Uh, I understand the strategy initially that I, you rather take the eight in coverage. You know, if, if they're going to throw the ball, if they're going to release, you know, under two seconds or whatever it was, two and a half, something probably in that range, then let's have eight in coverage. So were they not? Were the were those in coverage not up for the task? Were they just not good at it? Uh, I don't. That's where I'm kind of confused. In, in that, if they had eight in coverage a lot of the night, at least in the first half, why well, was it so poor? You know, why did they not have eight receivers going out for for passes? Yeah. But it it looked like they could get what they wanted. Like you mm -hmm. said, they worked the middle of the field uh, at will, and. Now, they're the extreme, right? Washington State, the way that the way that they throw the ball, the way that they conduct their offense. But USC is going to face better quarterbacks. They're going to face better offenses too. This is not the best offense that they're going to play. It's a good one. It's probably a hard one because it's unique. But it's not the best one. So. That that I think is kind of the the question that lies ahead. You know, what's next for them? Are they going to? I, I'm, yeah, it's hard to know what to to count on from week to week. And I thought the defense, for the most part, in the first three games, uh, had been. I mean, it'd been better than the offense, right? It was. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, I don't I want to say it was excellent. It wasn't, but it was the better unit. And tonight it wasn't. I I think we're just in for a wild ride. I, I, Each week that's it, the best it's way just going to be it. different, right? Yeah. So we come off the Stanford game and we're going, man, the pass protection is is atrocious. They've got to fix this, or it's going to undermine the whole offense. We come off the Texas game going. Man, what happened to the run blocking? They couldn't run the ball at all. They abandoned the run game. They, they got to fix the run game. We come off this game going, yikes, the defense has more concerns than we thought. And I think the fact that it's been... Oh, week one was the run defense, don't forget. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I think the fact that it's been different things every week speaks to the fact that collectively there's a lot of questions for this team still. And I don't know that I feel all that much better about them overall after this game. But they got the win. Uh, you saw JT yeah. really come into his own, which we talked about at the top. I mean, they showed some metal. They, they were down by 13. Yeah. They should not be down by 13 at home. But ultimately, did they win? Yeah, they won. You got to give them credit for that. Absolutely. And and the last two weeks we saw when they went down, they got into a hole, and they couldn't find the answers to climb out of it. Yeah. Tonight they did. Uh, JT was the spark. The defense did come up at the end. And make the plays they had to make. The block field goal by Tefeli was huge. Yeah, the winning time. They they made the biggest plays when they had to. They usually do at the Coliseum, and that, that's where I guess we just kind of have to wait and see if anything really changed. That was kind of my prevailing question for a lot of the players. Where hey, how do you how do you bring this on the road? Because. It, it really doesn't add up how different everything has been on the road. I, I get that. That's college football, though. Yeah, but their swing is dramatic, where they're undefeated with Clay at the Coliseum over a three-year period now. He took over in October of 2015. Three-year period, undefeated. And the margin of victory, I, I remember I, I calculated this throughout last year, it's somewhere... Under 20, like right under 20, like around 18. Right? And I mean, that, that didn't happen tonight, but it's been vast. And then they go on the road and they're under 500. And the offense usually is a mess on the road. Defensively, it's fluctuated. They have to figure that out. I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to excuse it because. This program is about winning titles, and not that it has to be in contention every year. But that's really hard to maintain, and that that probably requires a special coach. But they're already out of contention for a national championship in September, 
and they basically were out of it last year, you know, in mid-October after Notre Dame. The year before, they were out of it in September when, when Clay was in year one. In 2015, they were already out of it by the first week of October. You know, there's just there's a, a preparation that isn't there early in the season, and and then it's not there when they're on the road too. That's fair. I, I'm just saying I, I don't think their problem is home road as much as it is they're just a flawed team in general. And yeah. they found a way to win tonight. Yeah. But if they play this way every week at home, I think that home winning streak is going to come to an end at some point. Yeah. So. All, they took care of business in the end. You give them credit for that. Uh, it's step one in a better direction, but I'm just saying it's still a flawed team, and we're gonna we're gonna have plenty to scrutinize and talk about, <laughs> and or hopefully learn about this team moving forward. Hopefully they they do find these answers, and it's not the same storyline each week. But right now those answers are still yet to be had. Yeah, we might not have learned anything. Right. If if they're going to be different every week and they're going to be good at different things and yeah. you know struggle in different things from on a week to week basis, then we really are kind of going sideways here. Uh, the the one thing that I guess we learned right now is that Clay Helton still gets to be the coach of a team. I, I'm not one to just I think uh, hyperbolize his situation because I know that there's a lot of unrest and people are going to be clamoring for change and that's their prerogative but at the same time if USC had lost tonight I I'm inclined to believe that his successor would already be pursued I, I really I, and I didn't think that a week ago but the more I thought about it I think it's real. I think that had they been one and three, and uh, you know, zero oh and two in the conference, then it would require something crazy like winning out. You know, and sure, like if you win out at a certain point, uh, you know, we're still in September, then you're not gonna get fired. But reasonably, you know, if they just had fallen to one and three, and and then you know, and not won out but even just kind of mildly turned it around. I think the heat is real. And, and it's not a conversation that I thought we were going to be have, having at, at this point, this early. You know, I, I kind of thought that, you know, people that, that talk about it are probably always talking about it, you know, and we're talking about it the moment that they lost the Cotton Bowl. And, and some people probably have talked about it from the moment that he got hired. I get it. But now I'm hearing that people that matter, and no disrespect anyone, but in terms of the decision makers in the program, I'm hearing that they're talking about it. That it's a conversation for them. That's what I'm hearing. And so the moment that they start talking about it, then, then it's real. Well, there's no question it was a must-win game, and they won, and then they have to keep doing it, plain and simple. Yeah. Let's, let's close on the positive, though. Okay. okay. We're going we're to end this on the positive. <clears throat> the much maligned, beleaguered special teams coordinator, <laughs> Mr. Baxter. Baxter doing work. Got a shout-out shout from, uh, from his head coach, from his boss tonight, for identifying that vulnerability on the block field goal in practice this week yeah, and and getting the exact look they practiced according to Clay. Well, they did work on it for four and a half hours, so I'm glad they got it. No, no, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, he, he deserves all the credit for that because that was the winning play. And, and, and we heard from, from Cam Smith, we heard from Jay Tefilli, and they all said, you know, we got exactly the look that we were told we would get. Yeah. Uh, something with what the guard was doing. He, either he, he was falling to one side, or but but there was going to be an opening there. And Jake uh, Jake went unblocked. Yeah, and, and before the play, you know, Cam Smith kind of saw it and, and made the call, and he said he, he had to move uh, Peely over a little bit to get in the right spot. But 
but it, but the play call was was for Tafili to, to go and do what he did and get his yeah. hand on it, and that saved the game. Because if this game goes to overtime, you know it's it's fifty fifty. There there is no momentum either way this whole game for either team or for for USC. It was always tenuous. So that block saved the game, and. Uh, it was a rare good night for the special teams unit. Even the punter <laughs> averaged 39.4 yards a punt. 39.4? Yes. <laughs> okay. Baby we're, steps. we're really talking about everything tonight. Yeah, now that that's an awesome moment for the team. Uh, when you win a game like that, it, I, I feel I, special teams kind of neutral. It's kind of for everyone, though. You know, as opposed to it's great to get like a goal line stop or to score a winning touchdown. But it's something different, maybe, to win in the manner that they did uh, with the special teams play, where they get to run out the clock, and they even got the the last first down that they needed. And so those were the types of things that. They really, they haven't had enough of, and yeah, may, maybe it will, maybe it will build up a, a goodwill. You know, I think they just have a lot to figure out before they go to Arizona. You know, and, and not to to be so ominous, really. I'm sincerely not looking to do that at all. But these games come quickly, and so even though they do have an extra day of preparation, and they can relax on Saturday, and you know, and just kind of unwind and, and you know get to their their Arizona film study. It, it it's not gonna call a sim. It, it just not. And and so maybe maybe the the manner in which they won tonight where uh, you know they, they did need those defensive stops in the fourth quarter and they did have a go ahead touchdown drive you know it, everyone won this game yeah, I know it wasn't pretty I know it, it's not that memorable or it won't be but with with a team you never know you kind of never know what will kind of resonate perhaps everything that happened tonight will lead to that alright we'll end it, end it there we'll come back to you midweek with uh, our next podcast all right, everyone. Thank you.